0: Thank you. All right, we are starting a new series uh, today called Costly Grace. It's gonna be a multiple-part series here. And uh, it is a growth and discipleship series. Just wanna let you know that right up front. Um, A lot of times when we'll do a series, sometimes it'll be creative outreach, sometimes it'll be uh, for new believers, sometimes it'll be for those of us to go deeper in our faith. This is one of those series that is for depth in our faith. It's something to drive us deeper. It's something to get us to understand what being a disciple of Jesus Christ is all about. And when uh, I read the book actually by this title, Costly Grace, about a year ago, It convicted me, it just drilled so deep that I said from this I need to think about where God wants me to talk about this and to uh, get it to the church and get it to the body. And uh, the book was written by John Walker and I'm gonna use some of it as some of the resources uh, in this series and it was a contemporary view of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's uh, writing The Cost of Discipleship. So if you get that, we're in a series that was inspired by this book that was inspired by Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship. Now for those of you that don't know about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, I wanna just tell you a little bit about him and I think it's really important for us to know who the heroes of the faith were that that really stood up for the things of God and I hope that you'll read about missionaries and I hope you're excited whenever we talk about the people that have gone before us but Dietrich Bonhoeffer was born in Germany in 1906. Uh, He got a PhD in theology by the age of 21 And he was living in America, and in 1931, he thought, if I'm going to influence Germany, I need to live there. Now, he knew that there was some turmoil going on in Germany, and uh, Hitler eventually came to power, but uh, Bonhoeffer went And said, I'm going back to Germany as a Lutheran pastor. And I mean, for many of us in Minnesota, Lutheran just fits right in. All right, we're understanding this. So he goes back and Hitler takes power. And in the process, um, he is opposed to what Hitler is doing. And I want to let you know that the church was struggling in that moment. The church in Germany was trying to figure out, do we submit to our authority? Do we have resistance to our authority? What if our authority is not godly? What do we do? And Bonhoeffer was in the resistance. He's like, this is not right. We need to resist this. We need to stand against this. And because of this, he's imprisoned. While he's imprisoned, he writes the cost of discipleship, And then in 1945, he was hanged by the Nazis because he wouldn't go against what he was saying. He wouldn't say that they were okay. He still stood in his resistance that it was an evil regime and he was opposed to it. And his famous last words when he was about to be hanged were, this is the end, but for me, the beginning of life. That was his famous words. This is the end, but for me, the beginning of life. And he was saying, I get it. It's about eternal life. You may take this life here on earth, but I'm living for something higher than the here and now. And for all of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, we should get this, we should understand this, and we should know that this is not all there is. We are living for eternity. And, and when we leave this earth, we're stepping into uh, eternal life with Jesus Christ, and there's more to this world than what meets the eye." Now, he wrote the call, the discipleship, and it was the embracing of grace and truth and really being a disciple and really making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. And I want to explain a couple of things as we get into this uh, moment with costly grace. Before I, I define what is costly grace and what is cheap grace, I want to talk to you about what is grace, okay? Because the Bible tells us that we're saved by grace, it's because of grace. God gives us something, and, and, and a term or a definition would be unmerited favor. God is giving us something. He's giving us unmerited favor. That's grace, and he gives us forgiveness because of grace. Pastor Jack Hayford says grace is God meeting us at our point of need in the person of Jesus Christ. It's a great definition meeting us at our point of need in the person of Jesus Christ. So it's unmerited favor and it's it's by grace that we're saved and our sins are forgiven because of grace. Because now that we understand that, let me explain what is costly grace versus cheap grace, okay? Costly grace justifies the sinner, all right? It says, it's just as if you'd never sinned, you're forgiven. It justifies the sinner. And then it says, go and sin no more, that's costly grace. You're justified, you're forgiven. Now go and sin no more. Cheap grace, on the other hand, which is something that is sadly you know, taught and really modeled by a lot of people today is this. Hey, you're forgiven, don't worry about changing. You know, It's sin, just ask for forgiveness and get a little more grace. That's cheap grace because it says everything is forgiven, stay as you are. Do you get the difference? Costly grace, everything's forgiven. Now go and sin no more. Be formed in the image of Jesus. Cheap grace, stay like you are, who cares? You said the prayer, you got grace. People will sometimes ask me this when we give a response for people to follow Jesus. They'll they'll say, okay, Pastor Rob, if I give my life to Jesus... Do I have to change this? Now, there's a tempting thing within me to say like, well, don't worry about that. Just say the prayer, you know? But how many know that in that moment, they're counting the cost? And they're wondering, this grace is attractive. This grace is appealing. I get it. I understand it. I want in on this, but I understand now what you're telling me. If I'm tracking with you, I'm giving up on the way that I live, and I'm now living for God. You're telling me he'll forgive me of my sins, but he wants me to follow him. Is that what you're saying? And the answer is Yes. And as tempting as it would be for many churches to say, don't worry about it, just say the prayer. Don't take sin so serious. Most of us don't anyways, just say the prayer. We don't want to do that. We want to have costly grace that understands that it cost Jesus his very life to lay down his life for us so that we could be forgiven of sins. And if we live in a world that is, Unrestrained and just has uh, cheap grace. How many know that in a world like that, you'll start to hear people all the time saying, Well, I just think Jesus wants me to be happy, so I don't want to obey what that says. And I hear it all the time. People say, Well, you know, I know the Bible says that, but I I, I think Jesus just wants me to be happy. And uh, so I'm just going to serve happy Jesus, you know, if that's okay with you. That's cheap grace. Costly grace says, I want to understand what he did, and I want to be formed and changed into his image. Chief grace says, I only want to be forgiven of my sins. I don't want to ever be delivered from them. Costly grace says, I want to change my habits. I want to change my thoughts. I want to change my behaviors. I want to change my attitudes, my relationships, whatever I need to do to be formed into the image of Jesus because I understand what grace is all about. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to me in Romans chapter 6. We're going to go there. And then a little later, we're going to go to Luke chapter 9. But Romans 6 is where we're going to start out. There's a couple of problems with cheap grace. A couple of problems with cheap grace as we get to Romans 6. First of all, if we have cheap grace and we don't understand what it's all about, that we need to be formed in the image of Jesus Christ, that his grace gives us the strength to be formed into his image, you know what happens? Um, We start to excuse our behavior. We just excuse it. We just come up for a new excuse for everything we do because we're living in cheap grace. And then the other thing is we start to realize that we don't have to make any sacrifices to follow Jesus. And so the thought of sacrificing for our Lord and Savior becomes like, yeah, that's optional. We're not going to do that. It's a problem with cheap grace. And, and the reason why I'm so intent on helping us to understand what this is all about and the costly grace of God is that I believe cheap grace, if we, if, if we don't watch it, if, we don't, if we're not careful, cheap grace will actually lead to a a cheap faith in God, which is really like a knockoff, okay? Now, don't raise your hand when I ask this question, but how many of you, don't raise your hand because it's against the law, all right? Don't do that. All right, how many of you have ever bought a knockoff item? Just smile. All right, a lot of you are smiling. All right. Um, Your pastor may or may not have while he was in China (laughs) on a global team. Uh, got so caught up with watches and jeans and, and the such that he bought a Relex watch, not a Rolex, a Rolex. And, uh, <laughs> and, and jeans and a couple other things, true religion jeans for $20 instead of $200, may or may not have. And uh, one thing that you need to know about knockoffs is that you can wear knockoff clothes until you have to wash them. So you're you're determined, you can wear them as long as they don't stink. As soon as they stink and they need to be washed, whatever they are, the seams are falling out, I don't care what size jeans they are, when you wash them, they become skinny jeans. Okay, it just happens because they're knockoffs, all right? And I thought about this. If we don't watch it, if we don't watch out, if we, don't, if we get so caught up in, in cheap grace and we don't understand what we're really doing in applying the grace of Jesus Christ to our life, just like a knockoff uh, article of clothing, when the washing and the rinsing and the tumble dry storms of life come your way, the seams will fall out. The seams will fall out. You won't make it. You, you, you will just fall by the wayside and I want to make sure that you have a grace that is in you that is giving you the strength to be formed into the image of Jesus Christ. So Romans chapter 6 and the first thing we see here is because of grace we say no to sin. Because of grace we say no to sin. Romans chapter 6 starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Romans chapter 6. So the Apostle Paul is having an argument apparently with somebody that is thinking that grace allows them to do whatever they want. And you've got to know that there was something going on in the culture in that day. It wasn't invented by Americans, although I think we have perfected this. It was like a Christian hedonism. And the $3 word is antinomianism. They were antinomos, against the law. And so they were saying, we are the ones that are against the law. Now track this with me. They were saying, the law of God just showed us how bad we are and never actually perfected us. So we don't like the law. Jesus makes us perfect with God and gives us grace. So we're against the law and for grace. And because we're for grace, we're kind of thinking that if we sin more, grace will cover it and we're all good. We can do whatever we want. Grace is so amazing. And Paul's like, it is amazing. But grace teaches you to say no to the things of the world. Grace gives you the strength to say no to it. It's not a, a get out of jail free card, if you will. Because they were just saying, well, I can do whatever I want. I am, you know, it's, it's sin and, and grace and, and I can do whatever I want. And I'm gonna do. And matter of fact, they were so smart. They're, they're trying to think theological terms like, wait a minute. If I want more of God and God is grace, the more I sin the more I get of God. This is a great package deal. Sin, get more of God, wealth. And Paul's like, you're missing it. You're missing it. That's not what it's all about. You're you're missing what the love of God is all about, what grace is all about. Imagine a marriage that would be like this. Imagine a marriage where a guy says, I know my wife loves me so much that if I did anything, she'd forgive me. I mean, she loves me so much, I, do, I could commit adultery and she would forgive me. So he goes out and commits adultery knowing that his wife is so loving and so kind that she'll forgive him. Wow. That's a sick marriage. That's a sick faith is what Paul's saying. That's a sick faith if you understand what it cost Jesus Christ to die on the cross and you're just willing to say, oh, it's sin, but it's cool, it's grace, and grace, get on of the jail free card. I'm just gonna throw grace around. Paul's like, that is not the way you live it. Grace gives you the ability to say no. He says, by no means. He said, you're, you're dead to sin. And he's giving a picture of somebody that was owned by a master, a slave owned by a master. And he said, sin used to be your master, but when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you said, now Jesus, you're my Lord, my master, my savior, and I'm living for you. And he's saying, whenever sin speaks to you now, you don't have to listen to it anymore because it's not your master. You don't have to do what it says anymore. You're dead to that. You're alive to Christ. And when that voice speaks to you, you don't have to obey it. The voice you have to obey now is the voice of Jesus Christ. That's what grace gives you the ability to do. It gives you the ability to break free from the old voice of sin and death that used to control your life. Paul was pressing and stressing this in verse 3, and he's saying, don't you understand when you were baptized? Guys, when you were baptized, and here's what would happen. Whenever they'd hear a message of Jesus Christ, repent, turn from your sins, they would say the prayer, and immediately they would be water baptized. Now, we schedule water baptisms here at our church, and if you've not been water baptized, we encourage you to follow Jesus in water baptism. But right away, they would have water baptism. They'd say, all right, you're giving your life to Jesus. Let's go. Let's find some water. And they'd go into the water, and they would put them into water. Just so you know, in the Bible days, they would step into the water, and they'd be standing in the water. Let's symbolize this is water. This is the person standing there. And they'd be standing in the water, and they'd say, I repent from my sins, and I turn to you, Jesus. And when they go down into the waters of baptism, it was like saying, I am dying to the old way. I'm no longer bound by sin. And now when I come up, Jesus, I'm new in you, and I'm living for you. New. And now I'm listening to you. And Paul's reminding of them of that. He's saying, guys, you, you, you died in You You gave your life to Jesus. You went through it. You did the water baptism. You said no to the things of the devil. Yes to the things of God. Do you understand what you're living for? The grace of God gives you the power to say no to those things. And Paul would be saying to us right now, grace changes everything. Jesus changes everything. He's saying now you're saying no to the things of the world. Now because of grace, we say no to the things of the world. But the second part is we say yes to the things of Jesus. Luke chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, turn to me there. Luke chapter 9, verse 56. Because of grace, we can say yes to Jesus. Starting in verse 56. Then he, speaking of Jesus, and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, First, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. All right, let me break down this uh, story here and what Jesus is talking about. And let me give you a little confession, first of all all right of all the things that i can talk about of any topic that's out there i'm going to just admit Anytime I use a farming illustration, it is only something I have studied, okay? I know so little about farming and agriculture, it's it's terrible, and I'm gonna give you a confession. One time I was preaching and I had a picture up on the screen, and there was like a storm in the background, and they were trying to get the harvest in before the storm, and I'm like, you gotta get the harvest in before the storm, and I'm like, look at that picture. Those cotton gins have got to kick it into high gear. And they were combines. And my wife is on the front row and she's like, (laughs) And I'm like, So you got to fire up your cotton gin and get it going? And she's just like, Nope. And she's mouthing words to me, like, And I can't understand what she's saying. And she's, and so finally I said, What are you saying? And she goes, You're an idiot. Uh, so I'm just going to let you know, I've studied this, but I've never experienced farming, all right? But I did study this. So Jesus is talking about people that put their hand to the plow, and the people in their day and age understood this. So you've got to understand. They had one hand on the plow. It was a very simple plow, hooked to two oxen usually, wooden plow, simple, one-handed. And on the other hand, they'd have a goad. It was about a two-yard long stick with a, a metal uh, sharp end on it. And they would go and poke the oxen if they were going off course. They would poke them. That's the goat. And they'd you know, get on track, get on track. One hand on the plow, poking that, and they'd keep their eyes forward so they could plow straight lines. This is what's going on. Now they understood plowing because they would do it many times. They'd plow at the end. As soon as the harvest was in, they'd break up the ground. They'd plow at the beginning of the rainy season so that the rain would stay in their ground. And then they'd plow right before they planted their seed, put the seed in there, and once the seed was there, they'd plow again to pour the dirt over the seed. So multiple times a year they're plowing. So in this, understanding this, this is gonna make sense in just a minute. Jesus is talking about, if you're gonna follow me, you gotta, you gotta say yes, and you've gotta follow me. No excuses, don't look back. So the first guy comes up with this excuse, and he says, <clears throat> Jesus, let me go home and bury my dad. Now, if you're looking at that like me and you don't understand the full context of it, you're thinking, that is so mean of Jesus to say, hey, your dad's dead, let somebody else bury him. Okay, don't you think? Like, that's kind of mean. Okay, but you got to understand, his dad was not dead. His dad was not sick. His dad was not mostly dead. His dad was fine. This guy was okay, and what he was saying is, Jesus... I wanna fulfill all the cultural obligations that are around me. And after I've done all the things that my culture does and all the things that everybody has to do because they're part of this society, then I'll come follow you. I'll give you my golden years when it's convenient, but right now I'm not giving you these years. I wanna go home and stay in my dad's house until he dies and then I'll come and follow you. You gotta think this through He was saying in modern day equivalent, he's saying, Jesus, you got to understand, I know you're calling me to be your disciple and I feel a stirring that I'm supposed to give this up, but you got to understand every parent puts their kid in 85 different sports all year long and we miss church like crazy for it. Jesus, you just got to understand when the kids are out of school, then we'll come to church. You saying Jesus modern day equivalent, I know you called me to be a missionary, but not until my kids finish school because Jesus, it's so important that they finish school. Heaven forbid that they would grow up in a different country than here because after all, my allegiance here is so much more important. You see what I'm saying? This is what's going on modern day equivalent. Now again, I'm not against sports, I'm not against, but I'm just trying to tell you. Modern day equivalent, he's saying, Jesus, you know um, we own a cabin, Lord, you know, and uh, you know it's like summer three weeks here in this state, and I'm gonna squeeze every ounce out of that baby, and uh, you can count me out June, July, and August. All right, yeah, I'm just saying, and again, you understand where we're going with this. The modern day equivalent, Lord, it's it's Easter break, and I know that uh, you know my relatives would be most likely to come to church on Easter, especially if I baked the ham and invited them over to my house. But it's Easter break, and Lord, um, we're going to Disney. And uh, we're on spring break and we are getting out of the snow and uh, forget it that my neighbors might actually come to church. And some of you are probably thinking, wow, we must have been missing a lot of people at Easter. We weren't. We were fine. But I'm just telling you right now, why is it that we have more obedience to the school district calendar than to Jesus? Again, I am not opposed to Disney. Brought my kids to Disney. Done it. A couple times. All right? Not opposed. But I'm just saying... Do we ever stop and say, Jesus, is this the year that I'm gonna invite my neighbors to church over that time? Is this the year Jesus, do you need me to fulfill my post here? Do you mean when do you when do you why does the school district get to dictate everything we do and not our Lord and Savior? Could you could you imagine the Apostle Paul wondering, like, you know, hey, I'd like to come to your city, but what's the cost of living? You know, I mean, because I don't know. I mean, it's really expensive. I don't know if I should go there. And yet we think about all the other things. This guy was like, cultural norms will decide, to f- I will follow you when it's convenient. And after I've done everything that society says, then I'll follow you. Some of us treat following Jesus like we're picking a cable plan. Missionaries, get the, they get the full package. You know, they get shot at, they get blown up, they lay down their life. Pastors, they get a pretty good package there, and they got to sacrifice a little bit. Elders and deacons, the rest of us, we can just get the basic package. Uh, kids' church, Christmas, Easter, funerals and weddings. We're good. We get the basic. You're a follower of Jesus Christ, That's right. and he calls us all differently, and if he's called you to do something, it's obedience, So this guy's saying, you know, after I get doing, you know, after I do everything I want to do, then I'll get around to you, Lord. Jesus says, that's not the right way. Second guy says this, let me say goodbye to my family. And if you're tracking with me, you know that it's not just like, see you, mom and dad. (laughs) He was saying this, let me go ask permission of my mom and dad if I can follow you. Imagine the scenario. He goes to his dad and mom. Hey, mom and dad, uh, I met this guy, Jesus. He's a rabbi, and he doesn't have a place to lay his head. And uh, I, I want to follow him and go into all the world, and he has no money. And um, I just want to, you know, be uh, w- devoted to him and kind of travel with him. If I have your permission to go on this adventure with Jesus. Oh, you, no, no, I can't go. Okay, sorry, Jesus. Can't go because uh, mom and dad said I can't go. So, sorry, I, I really do love you. But because my family said, no, I can't go. Think about it. Do you know what? There's a missions organization that we love and support called Live Dead. There are people that have been willing to say, I'm going to go wherever I need to go. I'm going to do whatever it takes to follow you, Jesus. And they said the biggest problem is that the churches get mad. Like, I can't believe you're sending that person into harm's way. I can't believe you're doing that. The the families uh, will call and say, we are going to sue you for having our family go to be a missionary. Uh, organizations are worried about this because they're saying like the the people are not giving permission and they're angry matter of fact i once had a mom come to my office and go i can't believe your church i can't what are you preaching at your church she's like you're preaching and talking about reaching the lost and now my family wants to be missionaries to mexico what is wrong with you (sighs) i was like we're just asking people to follow jesus that's all we're trying to do Man, we can't sit there and say, what does my family say? And we can't be jerks to them. But at the end, who do you have more loyalty to? Your Lord and Savior or to family? Okay? Jesus is saying, my authority is absolute. I make the call and there's no looking back. Now, why useless? Let's go back to the plow. He was saying this, that... If you are following Jesus and you have one hand on the plow, one on the goad, and you're always worried about what culture is saying to you, and you're always worried about what your family is saying to you, and you're always worried about permission and cultural norms, and you want to try to please both things, you're going to be doing like this. And how many know if you're doing like this, there is no way in the world you can plow a straight row? Not possible. And he said, if you're going to do that, if you're going to have your eye on culture and you're going to have your eye on your parents and you're going to have your eye on permission and all that, you are going to plow crooked rows. You might even break the plow because you won't see that there's a rock there and you'll break the plow. And he's saying, if you're going to do this, you're going to ruin what's already been done because somebody went before you and was really organized and said, I'm willing to lay down my life and they plowed a straight row for Jesus and now you're ruining it by plowing all crooked. And he said, somebody right now is trying to follow Jesus and really focused on God, but you're so worried about what other people will think, you're plowing a crooked row, and you're making it hard for what people are doing right now. You're plowing a crooked row, and you're making it virtually impossible for anybody to make any sense uh, with what you plowed. And they're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in the future, and they're like, I don't get it. It's a really crooked row. I made up a term here for this sermon we are DWIW Christians, doing whatever I want. That's how we drive, doing whatever I want. I'm a plow crooked. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm DWIW. That's what I'm going to do. And that is not the way Christ calls us to follow him. Now, you get this. The grace helps us to say no to the things of the world, say yes to Jesus, so we plow straight rows. Why? Straight rows so it's easier for people to follow Jesus. Straight rows so there's the money for the resources for the kingdom of God. Straight rows so that we're out there making God look good. Straight rows. I know this, our obedience will never make us perfect. No matter what we do, we can never make ourselves perfect. It's grace that gets us in, But our obedience will help us to be maturing. Our obedience will help us to be more like Jesus. It'll help us to not play games with God. And it'll help us to be the effective disciple that he's called us to be. And I'm praying that we'll understand the grace is costly. The grace is costly. And it costs us to say, we will say no to this. We will say yes to this. Thank you for the forgiveness that you give us, Jesus. So Lord, I pray for that. I pray that we'd understand that your grace will move us forward in obedience. It helps us to say no to the things of the world and yes to the things of God, and we thank you. No matter how hard we try, we'll never be perfect. It's only because of grace. But when we've been given grace, I pray that we'd understand grace wasn't just a stopping point. It wasn't just a get-out-of-jail-free card. Grace was a transformation from death to life. Grace was a transformation To have true life in you, Jesus, to be forgiven of our sins, and then to have the power to say no to the things of the world and yes to the things of God. And I pray over our church right now that we would plow straight rows. It's not legalism. It's just wanting to follow you and plow straight rows so that it's easy for others to make sense of it. To plow straight rows so we can work together. To plow straight rows and so that we yield to you. And again, Lord, we're not opposed to vacation. We're not opposed to trips and and things like that. We're not opposed to it, but we yield to you. You tell us where to go, when to go, and, and, and we will be obedient to you, Lord. So I again pray that we'd plow straight rows. We'd say no to the things of the world, yes to the things of God, and understand how beautiful grace is that it gives us the strength to live a holy life before you. Thank you for that grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.